Amen. Well, thank you for praying with us. Well, it's good to be back. Like I said, welcome to church. It is great to be here. I'm going to say that about 10 times this morning because I'm so excited. You know, there's no way uh, to make me more depressed than to make me sit in my room for two weeks uh, without having church. Well, I guess church online, but it doesn't feel the same to me. So I'm glad to be with you guys and, and to get going. You know, God's got a word for us this morning. That's the thing. When I get in quarantine, I start getting really fired up. God gives me ideas of what I can preach later. So two weeks to really pray and seek God as we're going to talk about generosity this morning, which I know is all of our favorite type of sermon. So I'm excited for that. But before I get into the serious stuff about generosity, uh, let me just say that uh, my favorite Easter was in 2003. And you may be wondering, why was that your favorite Easter? Well, it was my favorite Easter. And I'm saying this on Thanksgiving weekend, but just go with it. It was my favorite Easter because... My family had just moved into our new house. I was 10 years old, and my brother Derek, who was just up here, was six, and we moved out to the country, and my mom was just really, really excited because she grew up on a farm, and, and she had this dream that our family would be an outdoorsy family, that we would just really be people of the land, okay? So we get there in 2003, and, uh, and it's Easter. My parents love to go crazy, like on every holiday. Like, we get gifts for, for President's Day, for labor, I'm kidding, we don't get gifts for that, but we get gifts on Easter. And my mom forgot to get, I forgot to get gifts until uh, the night before Easter, so she runs out, and as she is just so inspired about the outdoorsiness of our family, she, she grabs a couple bug catchers, like toy bug catchers, and, and she just thought me and Derek were going to love these bug catchers so much. And on that morning of Easter, we open up those bug catchers, and, and I see mine, and I'm 10, so I'm able to hide my disappointment a bit. I know I'm not supposed to be frustrated with the gift I get. But Derek says, really? A bug catcher? Why would you get me a bug catcher? I hate bugs. He throws it down, stomps into his room, and shuts the door. I think he later apologized, and I'm pretty sure he still keeps that bug catcher under his bed today. I don't know for sure, but... Because he feels bad. And we all should give him a break because he was six years old, right? But my mom definitely did not nail Derek's gift that year, but she cared enough to give a gift from her heart. And that's what God cares about when it comes to our giving. The question is, where is your heart at? Are we giving in response to what he's done for us and out of a heart of love for him? Or are we trying to earn something with our giving? Are we giving with delight and with joy or because it's some religious obligation we feel that we have? Are we giving freely and trust that God will supply our needs or do we give and then worry afterwards? Like that happens to me sometimes. I'll give and I'm like, dang, and I needed that $4 for Starbucks. I think many of us can relate with the baby version of Derek. I think many of us struggle with feeling secure and content with what we have. No matter how much money we have or possessions we have, we never feel like we have enough. And we always want more. Maybe we hoard our money in order to try to feel more secure and safe. And it doesn't matter how much money we gather, we don't feel safe, we don't feel secure. And then on the other end, maybe we can't hold on to our money because we're constantly buying more stuff, trying to feel content, trying to satisfy some type of, or some type of hole in our heart. In the fight to feel uh, secure and content in what we do have, we often struggle to have the freedom to give generously to others because, because we don't feel like we have enough. And when we do give on occasion, it's mainly because we feel guilty, and it's not out of a joyful heart of generosity, but more just to ease our conscience and to feel like we checked off the good person box that week. And we all come in here this morning, or maybe you're watching online, and we're all at different places financially. Some of us are doing well, and we're feeling good, and then there's others of us who are in a tough spot. And no matter where we're at, whether you're rich or poor or somewhere in between, we all, to some extent, struggle with generosity. Those who are doing well may struggle to be generous because you think you need more money and more stuff to be happy. And those who are not doing well, maybe we don't feel like we have enough to give to others, so we just don't give at all. Or maybe we're scared that if we do give, God won't supply our needs because we need all that money to pay our bills. This constant lust for more money, for more security, more comfort nags at us and strangles our generosity potential. 
And this doesn't just apply to finances, okay? So if you're here this morning, like, this pastor's talking about money. I don't like this pastor. He just wants my money. I don't want your money, all right? And it doesn't change. My salary doesn't change based on how much you give, right? It's set by our board, okay? So I'm not just trying to get your money, right? Instead, I'm praying that our church could be a generous church because I have personally tried to live generous. I'm not perfect, right? No one's going to say they're perfect in this. And I see blessing when I am generous. I see that every time I give, God outgives me. It's nuts. I'm already preaching. I need to wait till we read the scripture. But God outgives me. God blesses my socks off as I give. And I just want us to all get our socks blessed off. I don't know if that's how you say it. But I just pray that that would happen, all right? So if you feel like we want your money, then keep it. But I'm praying that God would inspire us this morning, inspire us to be a generous church no matter where we're at financially. So maybe you make $10 a month. I'm praying that God would enable you to give 50 cents or give a dollar of that away. Or maybe you make a million dollars a month. I know we got some millionaires in here. You've just been hiding out. (laughs) And maybe God would inspire you to give proportionally to what you have, all right? So that's the heart this morning. So we're concluding our series set free and I have loved this series. It's been fun as Derek and I have tagged him on this series. And, and we've talked about different things that Jesus sets us free from. So in week one, we talked about how Jesus sets us free from fear and anxiety, and he calls us into confidence. In week two, we talked about how Jesus sets us free from bitterness and calls us into grace. And then Pastor Derek took my spot and preached. I was excited to preach that message, but Derek preached it. He, he preached it better. And and we talked about how God sets us free from striving and calls us into rest. And then last week, we talked about how God sets us free from apathy, which is laziness. It just, I think, lazy, or sets, us, or sets us free from laziness sounds more harsh, but it's the same thing. And he calls us into passion, all right? And now this week, we're closing it out. We're talking about how God sets us free from greed and calls us into generosity. Who's excited this morning? Come on, can I get an amen, somebody? Come on, can I hear the church? Let's go. I'm excited. You better be excited. God's got something for us. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're going to be hanging out today. And the letters to the Corinthians were written by the Apostle Paul to a church that he helped start in the ancient city of Corinth. In these chapters that we'll look at today, he's discussing a collection of money that was being taken up by the Gentiles, so the non-Jewish churches, for the Jewish church in Jerusalem. Okay, because the Jewish church in Jerusalem had been hit hard by a famine, and they were struggling financially. So Paul was going throughout the churches, or the Gentile churches, and collecting money to send to the Jewish Christians. And by the time he wrote this letter, he had already contacted the Macedonian churches, who were the churches in Philippi and the church in Thessalonica, if you've read Philippians or 1 and 2 Thessalonians. He had already talked to them, And they had already decided to give abundantly to the offering. And they're actually desperate for the opportunity to be generous. It says that they begged Paul for the opportunity to partake in this offering. Think about if we begged to give. Like, I just want to beg, please let me give my money away. That's what they were doing. But then Paul is following up with the Corinthians and saying, hey, the Macedonians are begging to be generous. Can you be generous too and participate in this? Okay, so that's the context he's Uh, The Corinthians had already told him that they would, but Paul's trying to kind of solidify their commitment to this. Okay, so let's read it. Verse 1. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For For they gave according to their means, as I can testify and beyond their means of their own accord. Here's that verse I was talking about. Begging us earnestly for the favor, the favor. They viewed it as a favor to take part in the relief of the saints. They viewed it as an opportunity. That's going to be important later. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith... In speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Verse 8, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Verse 9, this is the kicker verse of the day. Get excited about it. It says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, 
so that you by his poverty might become rich. Oh my goodness. That's good stuff, guys. I just want to start crying right now. That's good stuff. Jesus leaves the riches of heaven to embrace our poverty so that we might become rich. That's the motivation for generosity. Goodbye. That's the end of the sermon. I'm kidding. I got too much to say. It's been two weeks. I got about a 60-minute sermon, so be ready. I'm kidding. Let's pray quick. All right, Jesus, we thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for the Apostle Paul and the example that he set for us, that our giving is motivated by your generosity, not by a religious obligation. And this morning, God, I pray that each person in our church will be called into this life of generosity. And it doesn't just look like finances. It looks like time. It looks like sharing our talents. It looks like sharing ourselves with people. So God, I pray that you would call us into that as a church. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. All right, the first point this morning, if you're taking notes, and I know you are because you're pumped, it is this. We can be set free from greed. It's a long point. We can be set free from greed and live a life of generosity when we realize that our generosity is a response to God's love, not a way to earn it. Can I get an amen? I'm just feeling it this morning. Can I get some amens? All right, I'm excited. The Corinthians had already previously told Paul that they would like to give in this offering. In an attempt to further motivate them and to solidify their commitment to give, Paul, or he speaks of the Macedonians' generosity. Verses 1 through 3 tell us that even in adverse circumstances, these churches were practicing extravagant generosity. They were giving in the midst of persecution, in the midst of affliction, and were giving even as they themselves were in extreme, not just poverty, but extreme poverty. Okay, verses one through three, it says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave, or gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. So despite their circumstances, Paul says that their abundance of joy had overflowed. It was an overflow. They loved God so much. They were so joyful that it overflowed into a wealth of generosity, they weren't just giving according to their means or how much they felt like they had to or what was easy, but they were giving beyond their means. This was not out of a religious obligation, but was an overflow of inflamed hearts of love and joy for God. Here's the deal. When we're full of love and full of joy in God, we can't help but take care of other people. We can't help but give to see the gospel go forth or go forth in our community. Again, in verse four, like we get to this point. Of, okay, so until you get to this point, you know that you can grow in God's love, right? It says in verse four, begging us earnestly for the favor, not the obligation, not the twisting of the arms, not the, oh, pastor wants me to give, for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They were so in love with God that they were begging for God to take more of their money this shows me that if I'm struggling to be generous, it's probably because I'm not in love with God enough. If I'm struggling, if someone has a need, if I see someone on the street begging for money and I'm like, no, that $4 is very important to me. I need that pike place with cream. If I'm at that point, there's probably something wrong with my heart. Instead, if I'm in love with God, if I'm worshiping, just like, Lord, send revival, just singing. And then I see that guy on the street. I'm like, yeah, you take it, dog. There you go. I just said dog in a sermon. You know, I haven't preached in a couple weeks. All right. A lack of generosity shows that we need a download of God's love. And as we grow in God's love, then we can grow in generosity. Verse 7 goes on. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, or not knowledge, whatever that is, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Okay, so he says, don't just try to grow in your faith or your understanding of scripture, or in your love and earnestness, but also you need to see to it that you excel in generosity. It's right there with the other spiritual disciplines of reading the Bible and praying. He's saying, see to it that you excel. It's not something that just happens. It's something you have to practice. Paul's telling us that generosity is something to be cultivated in us as we follow or apprentice under Jesus, right? Being a disciple of Jesus, being an apprentice of Jesus, 
just means you're trying to do the things that he would do if he were you, right? So as we apprentice under him and try to be like Christ, generosity is something we should cultivate. Okay, he then says in verse 8, I say this, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Okay, so Paul's making clear, he's saying this isn't something I'm commanding you to do. It's not like you get in trouble if you don't give. It's not something you do to, or to earn God's love, right? God has already proven his love for you on the cross when Christ came out of heaven and died on the cross for our sins, right? He already proved it. There's nothing you can do to change that. You're giving, you're dropping $2 in the plate or giving to someone who's, who's struggling. That doesn't change that doesn't move the needle of God's love for you, okay? So he's not saying that, that this is something you do to earn something, but he is saying that it shows others that you are serious about your love for Jesus. True love does not just manifest, it, or does not just manifest itself in talk, right? And just saying, I love this person. I got butterflies. This person makes me feel so fuzzy. No, it manifests itself in sacrifice, Jesus showed us what love is when he laid down his life for his friends, right? So if we are truly loving people, we will be generous and lay down our life just as Jesus did. Just as Jesus embraced poverty and hardship for us, we should seek to embrace a sacrifice for others. Okay, so again, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. As we talk about generosity for the first time in a, in a sermon this morning at church, we need to know that giving is not something we do for brownie points with God. It's not something we do because you feel pressured by me or by anyone else on our church leadership team. We obviously want you to give, but we don't want you to give because you feel like we're twisting your arms and we talk about tithing every week. That's not our heart. Instead, we want to be a church that gives because our hearts are just overflowing in love for God, and we want to be like Jesus. That's why we give. As we get to know the Son of God, who left the riches of heaven for the poverty of earth, we can't help but share what he has blessed us with with others. Being new creations who are made in the image of God, have been bought with the blood of Christ, and have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit living inside of us, generosity is just part of our nature now. It's something that we are. We are generous. As people who are supposed to be like Christ, that's just who we should be and what we should do. I personally had my ups and downs with generosity. I have seasons of really wanting to be generous, and then I have seasons of holding to my stuff a little bit tighter. You know, last year, the Lord began to really press me. He was pressing me to give the biggest gift that I had ever given to someone, and I had been praying in that season that God would give us the church building that we're still praying for. God, your timing. Come on. <laughs> I have so many videos on my phone like, this is the day that God is giving us this building. We're getting close, though. Just saying. I'll give more news on that soon, but we're getting close, okay? So point is, I was really praying that God would just have, or just give us that building. And I felt like God said, Daniel, if you want me to be generous with you, you need to practice generosity yourself. You, you give your tithe, you give to missions, but I want you to give something above and beyond to someone who's struggling. Okay, so I said, okay, fine. And then he gave me a number, and it was larger than anything I had ever done. And I wrestled with God so much in the days leading up to it, you know, just going back and forth, like, ah, oh, maybe I need that. But during a time of worship, I just felt so compelled by God's love to be obedient and not to earn anything from him, but just because my heart was just full of love in that moment, I got my checkbook out, I wrote the check, and I gave it to the person because I was just f so full of God's love in that moment. And the craziest thing about this is I wasn't even able to take pride in my giving for too long because three days later, a church gave me and Emily the exact same amount, well, it was off like by $40, but gave me and Emily almost the exact same amount. And the point is God was blessing us back God was saying, you can't outgive me, dude. I just, why am I saying dude and dog? You can't outgive me. He said, try it again. Do it again, right? And I'm still growing in my generosity, but I want to get to this point where I'm just like, boom, God, all right, beat it. All right, boom, see if you can beat that. Boom, see if you can beat that. And just keep out or trying to outgive God. I'm telling you, every time I've 
try to practice radical generosity that's not just like, like faithfulness, like tithing and missions giving, God always comes back and blesses me. It's insane. If you're like me, and you struggle to be motivated to be generous, I think this first part of 2 Corinthians 8 just really gives us a blueprint for how to grow. The first thing is if we want to be generous, we have to fall in love with Jesus so that it becomes an overflow of joy. That's the first way if you want to grow in generosity. Just fall more in love with Jesus. The second thing it shows us is we must realize that generosity is a discipline to be cultivated. It's not just something that happens to you. It's not like you just wait till God zaps you and you're like, okay, now I'm generous. You have to practice generosity. You have to do the things that God has called you to do. You have to see to it that you excel in this just like all the other spiritual disciplines. And then the third thing we see is if we need motivation, we have to look to Jesus' example. Every time you're struggling and you're, you're struggling with greed, just look at the cross. Just look at Jesus. And say, okay, he gave up all of the riches of humanity, or not humanity, of the world, and came out of heaven to embrace our poverty. If that's who my king is, if that's who I'm trying to be like, then I need to follow his example. Okay, so as much as we know this stuff intellectually, if you're a follower of Jesus, and that we should be generous as a response to God's love, it's still difficult at times to not make it into just like this burden that we're supposed to do. This burden, like, oh, I'm supposed to do this, so I'm just going to do this. Paul gives us some instructions in the, the following verses in chapter 8 and then, and then later in chapter 9 on how we can make generosity go from being a burden to an opportunity. Okay, so the second point, and actually the final point, but we got some subpoints, is this this morning. If we, or no, we can be set free from greed and live a life of generosity, take out the of there, but anyways, when we realize that generosity is an opportunity to be enjoyed and not a burden to be endured, okay? As Paul continues to discuss this collection, he points out some hurdles to generosity and point, or pinpoints some reasons why it might become a burden to us. Okay, let's read it. Verse eight, or chapter 8, verse 12 through 15. He says, For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Okay, he's saying it's not about what you don't have, it's about what you have, being faithful with what God's given you. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness and that your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Okay, so after urging the Corinthians to follow the Macedonians and Jesus' example of generosity, he explains that God is pleased when we give according to our means, according to what he has blessed us with. He's not asking you this morning to give something that you don't have. He's not asking you to go into credit card debt to give to the church, okay? He's not asking for that. In other words, it's not about how much we give. It's not like we say, okay, that person has a lot of money and they can give a lot, so I need to keep up with them. No, it's not about how much you give. It's more about how much you keep, okay? So are you keeping too much for yourself? Are you not giving a proportion of your money away to other people? It's about giving proportionally to what God has blessed us with. We each are going to have different levels of, of giving that we can do in terms of amounts and numbers. But we have to follow the principle of giving proportionally to what God's blessed us with. That's what I'm trying to say. So that's why many Christians will practice the principle of giving 10% of their income to the local church. It's just this idea that as soon as I get my check, 10%, boom, go into the local church. Because it's this proportion giving. It's not like everybody's got to give $1,000. It's no, you give 10% of what you bring in. So uh, I want to let you off the hook this morning. If you make $0 a month, your tithe would be $0, okay? And any giving that you give would just be coming out of the abundance of joy in your heart, right? Okay, so the first thing that Paul shows us on, on, on taking it from a burden to an opportunity is generosity is a burden when we, or when we look at what we don't have, and this will be on the screen, I believe, and generosity be, or becomes an opportunity when we faithfully give in proportion to what we do have, okay? So when you start giving in proportion and not thinking, I don't have that much to give, but instead you say, okay, I got this $10 from working last week. I don't know what place would give $10, and I'm gonna give you know, $1 away. When you look at, okay, faithful, proportional giving, it frees you up to not some burden where you're looking, okay, I don't have this to give, okay? So let's keep moving. Uh, uh, so later in chapter nine, Paul points out another way that generosity can become a burden 
and how we can switch it to being viewed as an opportunity. In chapter 9, verse 6 through 10, let's read this one. He says, The point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, and not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, uh, or bread for food will surely multiply or supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness." Okay, so that's a lot there. I know some of that's confusing, but, but Paul is using an agricultural metaphor to say that if you sow sparingly, then you're going to reap sparingly. If you just like give a little, you're going to get a little bit given back to you. If you have a poverty mindset or a scarcity mindset where it's like, I don't have enough to give and you clench onto everything you have, then you're not going to be blessed back. But if you give freely, then you will in return be blessed. And this blessed does look like financial blessing. Not that God says, hey, you give 10% to your church, here's a Lamborghini. Okay, I'm not preaching that. This ain't prosperity gospel in Jesus' name, right? But instead, it's that uh, when we trust God with our, our 10%, he blesses the 90% more so, right? The more we trust him with, the more he's gonna bless the other portion, right? Okay, so, and not just financially though, God's gonna bless you spiritually as you practice this. Okay, he's gonna bless you, okay? So, uh, with that in mind, generosity is a burden when we do it begrudgingly as a, re- as a religious obligation. Like, my mama says I should give, so I'm going to give, okay? Because I have to. That's what I'm supposed to do. But generosity becomes an opportunity when we understand that God will take care of us. That's not in there, but I'm going to throw that in there. And he's going to bless us as we give, okay? So when we realize that God is faithful to take care of us, as we take care of the stuff that he's interested in and his mission and taking care of those in need, taking care of the vulnerable and the oppressed, when we do that, God is going to bless us. It's an opportunity to try to outgive God, which, like I said, you're never going to be able to do. So Paul goes on to pinpoint one more way that generosity can become an opportunity instead of a burden. All right, opportunity, y'all. You ready? All right, you're excited. I can tell. You're about to jump out your seat and shout me down. All right, verse 11 through 14. It says this, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God for the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the the saints, but is also overflowing, there's that word again, in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of their surpassing grace of God upon you. Again, I know that Paul's language is confusing. Peter even said in his letters, he said, Paul's kind of confusing. Sometimes he's tough to understand. It's kind of funny, two apostles like jabbing at each other. But point is, I'm not going to get into all the words here. I just want to give you the general thing that Paul is saying. Paul is saying that If we're generous, essentially, we're going to produce thanksgivings to God and other people, okay? So when we bless people, they're going to then turn around and want to bless God, okay? Okay, Uh, so someone might be praying, saying, God, I really need some money this month to pay my car payment. And then when you feel led to give to that person to help them with their car payment, all of a sudden, you are an answered prayer for them. And they're drawn closer to Jesus through your generosity. God can use you to be an answer to prayer for other people. If that don't get you excited about generosity, I don't know what's going to get you excited. To be the answer to people's heartfelt prayers for God's provision. To be the person that says, I have more. Why don't you take some of my money? Okay, so with this in mind, generosity is a burden when we fail to see the bigger picture. And generosity becomes an opportunity as we realize It's eternal impact on other people. Lord, help us to be generous. Come on. All right, so ever since I can remember, my parents have ingrained the importance of tithing into me. It's something I remember hearing even when I was like six. It's just something that we did. And I remember when I first got my, I got my first job shoveling snow for my dad because he used to have a snowplow business when I was 14. I began tithing even then from the beginning 
And from the very beginnings, I get like 100 bucks, I give 10 bucks to my church. Even later, when I wasn't even really following the Lord in high school, I always tithe. It's really weird what parents can do to you, right? I was always tithing. And then later, when Emily and I started dating and later got engaged, we decided that tithing would just be something we always do at the very beginning uh, when we get our paychecks. After our sophomore year of college, we decided uh, to get married and to move to Minneapolis uh, so I could pursue ministry training. And leading up to our wedding and to our big move, we were pretty worried about our finances. We were both broke. I worked at Casey's General Store, which is a great place to work, and Biscotti's, which is a convenience store on campus at UNI. And I was losing both those jobs as we were moving to Minneapolis. And we're moving into a much more expensive city, and we were enrolling at expensive universities. And not to mention, we were trying to pay for a wedding, which if you don't know, that can be pretty expensive if, if you want anybody to come and join you, okay? I remember one Sunday, I tithed to my church down in Coralville. It's called Life Church. It's a great church that helped us plant this church. I remember I tithed, and I felt frustrated. I was like, I got no money. God, why are you asking me to give to a church? I have no money. It looks like the church has plenty of money. Why do I need to give? And I was just anxious. I was tired of always giving first to the church. And I expressed my frustration to Emily. And she, being the great Christian girl that she is, was disgusted with me, I'm telling you. She was worried. She's like, is my future husband going off the deep end? Is he going to stop being a cheerful giver? Is he suggesting that we don't tithe, burn. Like, she was just mad. And then I got mad at her. I said, can I just ever vent? Can I just be a normal human being? (laughs) Have you ever been there? You just don't want to be the perfect Christian girl or guy sometimes, right? It's okay. The pastor sometimes doesn't want to be a perfect Christian. (laughs) But she twisted my arm. (laughs) She didn't do that. I'm kidding. She rebuked me, which is what wives should do. Wives, if you never rebuke your husbands, You should once in a while. Not all the time. It gets annoying, but sometimes. (laughs) It was incredible, though. As I tied that day and as we watched God move in our finances over the next few years, as we lived in Minneapolis and we went to school full time, we worked jobs at Target and Applebee's. And this was like back when Target paid like seven bucks an hour. So I know now they got the big sign that says like $15 an hour or something. It makes me so mad. I'm like, what the heck? Right when I get done working there, all of a sudden you want to be generous. But, and I remember we would like track every little cent in our bank account. And there were like every month it would drain to zero. And sometimes we'd have to put some stuff on a credit card. But God would take care of us. He, he took care of us every step of the way. And one of the most beautiful things was one of Emily's family members felt led to help us pay for our wedding and unsolicited gave us $3,000 to help us pay for the wedding. And that was around the time that I had tithed that day. So, and I've experienced that, that faithfulness of, uh, from God ever since then. I mean, I've always experienced it, but ever since then, like, God always provides, no matter how far up against the wall I feel one month, like, oh, we can't do this month. He always comes through. And that's not saying I'm rich, okay? So don't be thinking I'm rich. But it's just saying God comes through. Okay, so we learn that, that generosity is not some burden to be endured. Instead, it's an incredible opportunity. It's an adventure we are invited into. We're called to give faithfully in proportion to what God has given us. We're called to give an expectation that God will take care of us, and we're called to give with a big picture in mind and with excitement as we believe that God is going to bless other people as we give and draw them closer to him. Okay, so with all this talk about giving and generosity, you might be wondering, okay, where do I start? Right now, I give zero percent, or it's like 0.1 percent. Or maybe you're up to like 1%, which amen, praise him. But, but you're wondering, where do I start? Okay, so I just want to give you the blueprint that Emily and I follow in our generosity, okay? And I'm not saying, just like Paul said, I'm not saying this is a command, like, you know, twist in your arm. I'm just saying that this has worked for us, and I believe it's biblical. I believe it follows biblical principles, okay? And before I share these ideas, I want to say that I'm not trying to overwhelm you, okay? This might seem like, wow, that's a lot of giving. This generosity stuff is countercultural, and if you've never given before, you might feel overwhelmed, and I just want to encourage you to start small and to work your way up if you need to. I would encourage you to trust God and jump all in, but, but if you need to start at 0.01%, well, that's probably too little, actually. Start at 1%, and then work your way up, okay? All right, and, and remember, this is a response. 
to God's love. It's an opportunity. It's not a burden. It's not an obligation. Okay, so rule of life for generosity. My rule of life for generosity, okay? Like a rule of life is just rules for your life, okay? So the first thing is we start by tithing our income to the church, okay? So our, founda- our foundational principle for generosity that has led us to be more generous in other areas. I'm telling you, if you want to be generous, you have to start here. If you don't start here, you're not probably going to be generous in the other areas. Because if you can't trust God with 90%, how is he supposed to get or to enable you to give more, right? You've got to start with that. So, so a tithe is 10%, right? And I believe it should be given to the local church. I'll explain that in a second. Yeah, but that's where you should start. And if this is your church, obviously we would welcome you to start doing that. And I just want to challenge you with, uh, which we'll read in a second, but, but as you give to God, he will bless you in return. And, and again, he will outgive you, okay? So there's some debate about this, though. There's debate about whether tithing is for today. And I understand that. And I've wrestled with it myself. It's a very nuanced conversation that probably would take a couple sermons in itself just on tithing. But I only got a couple minutes here. So I'm going to try to do my best to explain to you why I think we should still tithe today. Okay, so and I also want to say, too, I have taught tithing every year of my ministry, even before my ministry collected the tithe. Okay, so Chi Alpha never collected a tithe. And I taught tithing then, and I teach it now. So it's not just a self-interested Thing. Okay, so let me give you the biblical background, though. That's what's important. What does Scripture say about this? Okay, so in the Old Testament, God required, it was a law that Israel, his people, would give a tithe of their income to the temple and to the priest. Okay, so tithe, again, is 10%. And because Israel was largely a cashless society, they didn't have cash, they often gave 10% of their produce, their grain, their wine, oil, and so forth. Okay, so think about having to take all your stuff and divide it up and give 10% to the church. Like, like you guys are just going to start like dropping your junk at the door of the church. Like, here you go, 10%. Okay, so that's what they had to do. It was an important part of their lives, and it was a sign that they trusted God to do more with their 90 than, than they could do with 100. Okay, so it was also practical in the sense that the temple has bills. The priest got to live, right? So some of the tithing stuff is practical. If we want the church to grow and go forward and get a building, all this kind of stuff, it's got to have money, right? Like, like money enables ministry, right? It pushes ministry forward. It's not, you know, the Holy Spirit's the one who changes heart, all of that, but all this stuff that we own and stuff, it costs money, okay? So it's a practical, a practical thing for the temple and that they needed to be able uh, to supply the needs of the temple. Okay, so Malachi 3.10 is kind of like the kicker verse on this tithing principle. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, uh, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's more, uh, no more need. Okay, I'm ready. Just come on, windows. Come on, open them up, Lord. I'm ready. Bless me. Rain down on me, Jesus. Thank you. Some of us get excited when we see this. This idea that if we're faithful, God takes care of us. This was a practice that God encourages people to to do any promise that he would take care of them as they did. Okay, let me just say this. In the New Testament, we don't see tithing as a command from God like it was under the Old Testament. Jesus does not ask us anywhere in the New Testament or the apostles to give 10% to check off a religious box. He also does not say that 10% fulfills all of your obligations for giving and generosity. Instead, what does he do? He raises the bar on giving and generosity. He says, instead of just giving 10% and being done, I'm asking for everything. Ooh, it's going to get convicting. All right, Luke 14, 33, let's hear it. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Cannot, it's not possible. If you don't bring your whole life, including your money, but everything else to under the lordship of King Jesus, you cannot be his disciple. And we're over here arguing, does God really want 10%? Come on, somebody. That's ridiculous. He wants 100%. Acts chapter 2, they brought all their possessions to the apostles' feet and dropped them there. I'm not telling you to do that this morning, although that would be fun. we get cars coming in here, be like, woo, party. No, I'm not telling you to do that, but I'm saying that God He should be able to at least trust you with 10%, right? There are texts all over the Gospels where Jesus calls us to give up our lives to follow him. We are no longer the owners of our stuff or our lives. Instead, we are now stewards. 
Everything we have is God's. Okay, so Jesus does not necessarily require that we give a certain percentage. But instead he says, hold your whole life in front of me with an open hand and say, Lord, how much can I keep? And I'm confident that he will never ask you to keep more than 90% of what you have. I've never seen the Lord say that to somebody. So with that said, we are no longer called to give just 10%. But I believe, and I believe, I'm not saying I'm God, but I believe from my understanding of Scripture that 10% should be our starting point for giving. It starts there and it grows. It starts there and then we go on a journey with Jesus to say, okay, how high can I get that percentage up? And that's not saying that all goes to the church. The 10% goes to the church and then anything above and beyond, you maybe give other places or you could give to the church if you want to. And the Israelites, they didn't know the generosity of Jesus that, that Paul talks about in verse 9 of chapter 8. They didn't know anything about Jesus. And yet they could give 10%. Okay, so if we know Jesus, who became poor so that we could become rich, how could we not respond and say, okay, I can at least keep up with the Israelites? Again, I'll say it again. God can do more with your 90 than we can do with our 100. I've seen this in my own life. And there's some debate about if this should be given to the local church. I want to touch on that for a second. I personally think it should be, as the local church is the New Testament, or the New Testament version of the storehouse, right? It's, the temple. it's like the temple. It's the place where you get fed spiritually. If we don't tithe and take care of our church family, how can our house take care of missionaries, and how can we push the gospel forward in our community? As we take good care of our house, we'll be able to reach more people, send more people out, give more money a way to take care of the poor and to do the work of the ministry in our community without lack, right? As we each take up the call to do this. But, you know, with all this in mind, I believe all that's true, but even with all that in mind, I want to say my concern today is that we would each at least start by giving some percentage, some percentage, some faithful giving, and just give it somewhere. Okay, I made my case for the local church, but just give it somewhere. Just be generous. Just say, I'm going to give 5% away every month or whatever, and then work your way up. Okay? The second thing for giving for our rule of life is give above and beyond to missionaries. Okay? So if we, don't send, if we don't send missionaries to the unreached places and nations of the world, how can those who have never heard the gospel hear it? Again, money enables people to go. They have to be able to pay their bills. They have to be able to go and do the ministry. So God has called us a sent church to be a, an extravagantly generous church towards missions. I want missions to be like the biggest part of our budget someday. Like we just give it away, give it away, give it away. Right? Because we want to see every tribe, tongue, and nation come to know Christ. If that doesn't break your heart, like Gabriella came up here a couple weeks ago. and She's going to Cairo, Egypt. If that didn't burden you to give, if that didn't inspire you to give, I don't know what will. She's going to preach to Muslims in the Arab world. If we don't do that, how are we going to give? Anywhere. If we really love Jesus, we'll renounce all that we have and say, God, take it all. And just tell me what I can keep. And I'm excited to say that she got fully funded. So amen, right? We were part of that. She's fully funded. Can we just clap for God? Like she is 19 years old. And God's helped us to be a part of sending her. She's fully funded. She's going in January. So now you know that you've helped and are continuing to help someone go and preach to Muslims in the Arab world. That's amazing. All right. The third and final way to give, and this isn't the final, actually. There's like more. You could give to your grandma, you could give to your brother, whatever. But this is the third thing I'm going to say today. Okay, give compassion gifts to help the poor and to fight injustice. There are so many ways to do this. If you want to know, okay, what organizations can I give to that are helping the poor in our world? What organizations are helping fight injustice? I'll give you a list, but I'll just name a couple. Feed One, okay, Feed One, keep that in mind. Feed One, it's a ministry that's connected to our fellowship of churches that can feed a child for $10 a month in impoverished nations all around the world, okay? They have an incredible ministry that is just taking care of children all over the world, and you give $10 a month, and it can feed one child, but I would encourage you to do more than that. Compassion International is an organization where you give $38 a month, and it takes care of, like, all the needs of a child, okay? So Emily and I like Compassion. We do Compassion. I encourage you to sponsor a child, and then there's tons of organizations that fight sex trafficking and, and different injustices. I think of A21 is an organization that fights sex trafficking. They rescue girls out of brothels. It's amazing to be part of this stuff. It's like, I am changing the world with 10 bucks. 
Come on, somebody. That's amazing to be a part of that. So I encourage you. And one more thing I'll say, too, is when you see someone on the street begging or you know someone who has a need, just take whatever you got in your pocket and give it to them. So like, okay, I hope there's not 100 in there today. We'll have to see. I'm kidding. Hopefully that's not the heart, right? But just give the cash away. All right. Again, if you need to start small, start small. But start giving something. All right. The main idea this morning is this. And someone's like, hallelujah. Jesus sets us free from the bondage of greed and calls us into a life of supernatural generosity. I don't know where you're at this morning when it comes to your own personal resources. Some of you probably don't feel like you have enough resources, whether that be financially or with your time. I know that feeling, guys. I know the struggle. There are days where I feel like there ain't enough money in the bank or time on the clock for me to do what God has called me to do. If that's you, let me just encourage you this morning and say this. As you practice generosity, as you faithfully give to God, God will take care of you. His provision for you is not dependent upon your circumstances. It's not dependent upon how much you make or don't make. His provision, hear this, is dependent upon his faithfulness. God's provision is dependent upon his faithfulness. He is faithful. He says, test me in this. God is faithful. He has never let me down. There are times where I'll pray a prayer and he doesn't answer in the moment. I don't understand why. But then later he shows me why, right? And that doesn't happen every time in every place. Some things are mysterious. We don't always know why God does stuff. But the point is, God is faithful. The more I follow this Jesus, the more I say, I want to give you everything because I know you'll take good care of me. It's just like a child with their dad. They know a good dad. They know that that dad is going to take care of them, right? There's this, this freedom. So I just want to encourage you, as you take care of others, as you take care of God's mission, he will take care of you. He loves you and he wants you to respond to that love by being generous. Okay, there's others here this morning who you may have a lot more resources, but you still struggle with being generous because, or because you aren't satisfied. And I just want to say, compared to the world, probably almost every person in this room is considered to have a lot of resources when you compare it to the whole world. So this kind of applies to all of us. But you still struggle with being generous because you aren't satisfied yet. You aren't happy. You aren't content. You aren't secure in what you do have. And you feel like you need more before you can give to other people. I know that struggle at times. Like I said last week, I splurged and I bought that Hobby Lobby Christmas sign. And yet it still did not satisfy that hole in my heart, right? It looks good. I'm not going to lie to you. It looks real good. Look at the video. But it didn't satisfy that God-sized need in my heart. If that's you this morning, if you're struggling with wanting more stuff, more money to feel content and secure, just know this morning that your most basic need is not a possession. It's not an amount of money in the bank account. Your need is right relationship with Jesus Christ. And until you get that right, you're not going to be able to be generous. That's where your need is. When you put all your stock, when you renounce all that you have in front of King Jesus, that's when you'll be satisfied. But until you do that, you're going to keep buying more stuff. You're going to keep saving up more money and you're still not going to be satisfied. Until you get there, you won't be able to be generous. Okay, Matthew 6, 21. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 and 24. I'm going to leave you with this. It says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's not saying you can't have money, right? It's saying you can't serve both God and money. So this morning, Jesus wants us to make him our master. He wants us to stop serving money, to stop storing up treasures on earth, but to store them up in heaven. But the only way that will happen is if your heart is changed, if your heart is inflamed by the love of God, the love of God that we see in verse 9 of chapter 8. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus stepped out of the riches of heaven so that we might live. Jesus, let that change us this morning. Let that change us. If you're here and you have not, or you're watching online, and you have not surrendered your life to Jesus and made him your Lord, I want to encourage you that today is your day. This king is worth serving. He's worth giving everything for. 
when you were headed to hell, when you were spiritually impoverished, Jesus decided not to leave you that way, but came to rescue you. He did this by living the perfect life that you could never live. And then he died the death that you should have died for not living the perfect life, paying your penalty and your debt before God. And then he went into a grave, he died, he came out of the grave showing that eternal life with God is possible. So if you have not made this Jesus your Lord, today is your day. The Bible says all you have to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and then you'll be saved, okay? This morning, Lord, help us to make you the Lord of our lives if we haven't yet. All right, bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to this. If you're here and you want to surrender your life to Jesus for the first time or make a recommitment to him and say, Jesus, you're my Lord, you're my master. What I'm going to do is count to three. And when I do it, I want you to slip up your hand as an act of faith of saying, Jesus, be my king, be my savior. Okay, so one, two, three. Slip them up all across this room. See those hands. Is there anyone else this morning? See that hand. See that hand. All right, go ahead and put your hands on. I'm just going to pray for you. And as I pray, just pray in your heart. Say, Jesus, be my king. That's all you have to say. Okay, so Lord, this morning we come to you, Jesus, and we declare that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Jesus, we ask you to save us from ourselves, to save us from our sin, to set us free from sin and death, and to call us into a new life. Jesus, give us the Holy Spirit. Help us to be your sons and daughters. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, stand with me all across this room. With all this in mind, my prayer is that the love of Jesus would stir us to be a radically generous church, both as individuals and also as a church. I pray that we'd be faithful in taking care of our house. And not only that, I pray that our church would be generous with other ministries. And I just want to say, that the only way that this church exists right now is because other churches have counted the cost of generosity and partnered with us. There's like dozens of them, guys, that have helped make this happen. My prayer is that our church could pay it forward, so to speak. And as God continues to bless us, that our church could be generous with other people as well. That's my prayer. That's like my deepest heart desire that keeps me up at night. Okay, so let's pray as a church that God would help us to be generous. Jesus, you can lift up your hands to heaven if you want. So Jesus, this morning, we're just asking you, Lord, to make us a generous church. God, help us to follow in the steps of our forefathers who've helped us plant this church. Help us to plant other churches. God, help us to send out missionaries. Help us to give extravagantly to the poor in our city. God, help us to be the church that you have called us to be. Lord, make us a generous people. Help us to be compelled by your love and to overflow with generosity. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's worship Jesus one more time. I'll be back up in a couple minutes.